This is the Development Locker Podcast, and this is your weekly investment in your development as you continue your transition through life and academy football. In Season 3, we bring you even more episodes, more guests who you can connect with, and even more insight into individuals like you who have a similar experiences in pursuing a career in the professional game. Over the next 11 months and 48 episodes, we aim to cover the key topics you will face along your journey. From the challenges you will have to overcome, the ups, the downs, and many experiences along the way. We will be here every week to discuss the current issues in your lives, support you in your journey, and continue your development to being the best version of you in your interviews from the locker. guest has had some journey and he's about to tell you all about it but just before he does here's a little background from someone who seizes every opportunity that has come his way to those opportunities that he has made happen himself to the ups and the downs the challenges he's faced the difficult times he has been through and more yet he wouldn't have had it any other way It has made him who he is, provided him with unique experiences and allowed him to put that into his career today. It is hard sometimes to ask those questions, to take people back to tough times and to put them in places they would rather forget. But credit to Irfan, he didn't shy away from any question and didn't hesitate to give you his open and honest responses. Here is proof in the pudding in this week's interview from The Locker. Welcome back one and all to yet another episode of the podcast and I'm happy to say we've got yet another episode that is a little bit different but that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to spoil any more because our guest was going to tell you his story. And Irfan, I think if we start with question one and we always like to start with a why on this podcast and for the question I want to ask you is why did you want to get into coaching? So um, initially early on in my journey I, I kind of knew that I'm not going to make a career out of playing uh, I got to a stage where it's not happening you know um, very early on actually I thought you know I've put all this time and effort into it it was a dream of mine and I'm not really going to make a career out of it you know so what can I do that's the next best thing, you know, that's going to keep that um, fire burning inside and, and, and keep the passion of football. So I felt at the time coaching would be the next best thing. So that's how I got into it initially. And then as years went on, I found a passion for developing the person as well as the player, you know, and then I felt that it was an opportunity to pass on lived experiences and knowledge of the game and, and of life in general to people. Yeah, and, and talking about that, we'll, we'll go on to that passion about developing the person as well as the player. That's something that we're, we're a great advocate of. And you mentioned there about, you know, you you, you thought or you come to the conclusion you weren't going to make a career in playing. Was that an immediate decision? Was that something that was over a long period of time? Did it take several weeks, months for you to come to that decision? 
I'd just been to Accrington when they're in the Unibond, Accrington Stanley, when they're in the Unibond. I trained there, they were the reserves in the first team, we should train together. Funny enough, John Coleman and Jimmy Bell were still the managers back then. I'm talking about when I was uh, early 20, so you, and I'm 41 now, so people can do the maths there. They were still the managers, and I know that back then, on the second spell, the reserves in the first team, we should train together. So I was training with the reserves and the first team together. Um, but there was just no... Uh, pathway to have it getting a proper first team contract um i was there was no expenses at all traveling there and i felt to myself i got, got to an age now where you know is it really going to happen for me uh, and i felt that you know it's not it's not going to happen and i thought about it um i still continue to play for another season but that, then i dropped to amateur football um and then i felt you know what um do i really want to um keep utilizing my time and energy in amateur football when i can do something that I'm still passionate about, and I feel, felt like it was the next best thing after playing, which was coaching. And you mentioned there, person as well as the player, do you think that's where that passion comes from, realising that you weren't potentially going to get the opportunities or be able to seize the opportunity to make it in from a playing perspective and going into coaching? If you've taken your experiences into your coaching, and we'll go on to some of the other things that you've done, in your career already but is that what's transferred into that passion of developing the person because of your experience 100 percent early because you know there's only a few and far between that will get a career in football i mean if you look at the stats i don't need to tell you that i'm sure you're aware of that so i think the holistic approach of the person that definitely fueled that fire and, and made it burn even bigger inside of me because i think it's so important that we develop people first Totally agree. And you've kind of shifted a little bit from, from coaching into to, to mentoring coaches. What what prompted that shift? Was it a lack of support in your coaching journey or is it just something that you felt was going to be, you know, from a personal and self-development perspective of not just being a coach, but now mentoring the next generation of coaches? I've had mentors throughout my journey in life and more specifically, um, when I was a mentee on the Elite Coach Mentorship, uh, the Mentee Development Programme with England Football Learning at the FA, you know, I first-hand seen and experienced the impact. I feel um, I've had a lot to give back, having seen that impact, and it supported me professionally and personally. So passion was created inside of me to support, go and support the next generation. And and I'd say, going back to your question, you know, was it a lack of support? And early on as a player, when I was trying to, you know, forge a career in playing. I went to Bradford City um, on trial with the youth team. I was at Rochdale as a schoolboy, never got a scholarship. It was a YTS back then. Then I went to Bradford City on trial. And I did well in the trial league. I think the first week, um, we, the coaches then were Chris Hutchins and, and Steve Smith. And Chris Kamara was the first team manager. Uh, Cammy on Sky Sports, he was the first. And he used to come and watch us, the first team, uh, the youth team train quite regularly. And, and what um, Chris Hutchins and Steve Smith had said to me was, you know, you've been here for two weeks now. Um, why don't you come and stay on, stay in the digs for two months? You do two months with us on trial. You get to play games. You'll be in and amongst it all, with the lads, and then we can look at making a decision on you. I went back home, Lee, told this to my parents, and they just said, what, what are you on about? You know, you've got to go to college, you know. They never saw football as a career. They, they just saw it as a game that you play in the park, really. And um, I couldn't go, and I, and, I, and I never took on the opportunity. 
Yeah, I mean, you talk about opportunity there, and I think you're an individual who certainly seized most, if not all, opportunities that have come your way. And, and, and that brings me really onto my next question, you know, question of, of diversity and just to kind of put it into a bit of context for some of our listeners. So you were the only first team scout from an Asian background in the top two divisions uh, back in 2013. Uh, believed to be the only South Asian uh, to coach the Zambian national team, only South Asian head of recruitment at an English professional club. Um, you, you're the only South Asian to have coached at round four of the FA Cup. And you're the most respected British South Asian coach in the English football when you were with the uh, the England setup as a assistant coach uh, with England C. In terms of that, is that something you look back on with immense pride, or is that something you look back on of not disappointment, but the fact that it has to be put like you're the first of this, you're the first of that. Do you look at that as a badge of honour, or do you see that as like why is it taking so long for those kind of boundaries to be broken? I think. Um, you, you, you know, so, so, so for my journey, I just loved football and I had a burning passion for it. And I just continued to do and pursue uh, a career in the game. And then it's only after you do certain things, some things start to get highlighted. The media, some of the stuff you just mentioned there, obviously being quoted in the media, you know, like on in the Guardian, on Sky Sports, and and, and some of these sources. So when it gets highlighted, um, I think there's that trailblazer element to it. You know, uh, but then at the same time, um, I do think that, you know, it's it's something that you think, wow, I mean, the, there's so many uh, people from underrepresented communities now living in England. We're in 2023 20, now. So, you know, people came in the 60s and 70s, so years have passed, and yet it's still, you know, such a underrepresentation when you when it's highlighted to you that you're the first to this and the first to do that. There's that wow element to it, but then at the same time, you just think that I didn't even think that I didn't even know that until it until it was highlighted. You know, I just doing what I'm doing and and, and carrying on as normal. But it's only when people highlight it, like the media, then it then you think, wow, I can't believe that. And do you see yourself as a a trailblazer or and or you know somebody who's there to inspire others? I think ultimately I want to impact others from all backgrounds. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what colour, creed, religion, faith, uh, nationality people are. You know, I, I want to help inspire people from all backgrounds. And I see myself in a very unique position, obviously, as a role model. But the thing here is that I see myself as a real model. You know, the role model word is used a lot, but we have to be real as well. You know, we have to have that authenticity and be approachable and, and be real and that's what people want so that's something that I believe in and then I'm a believer in that we must have influence first to have any impact you know um, and how do we have impact so I'm a believer in uh, you know connecting with people building rapport trust care in relationships yeah and I suppose those relationships are are massively important you know somebody who's a, a massive Liverpool fan and you know Jürgen Klopp talks about you know, the, the power of relationships and, and the fact that that's got Liverpool, I wouldn't say where they are now after the back of uh, recent results, but certainly the, the successes that they've had of building those relationships. And in terms of those relationships, do, do you feel that 
you're positively impacting on those relationships between other coaches from other diverse backgrounds? Yes, definitely. Um, I think that in my role currently now, when I'm mentoring coaches, um, I do a lot of work with uh, coaches from underrepresented backgrounds and I feel that um, the kind of relationship I have with them um, through influence is helping me then to then impact these coaches. And I think it's me get, understanding them, them understanding me, getting to know them, them, under, them getting to know me, building them relationships. And that's the foundation for them then being allowed to flourish and grow and learn as people. And I think the fact that, you know, there's a saying that if you see it, you can be it kind of thing. And I think when they see you, um, you know, seeing that I've had a similar upbringing or background to them, then it gives them that, you know, inspiration, if you like. Yeah, and, and speaking of inspiration, do you, in terms of some of the programmes that are now in place, you know, across the FA, the Premier League and the Football League, do you feel that giving coaches like yourself and those from other diverse backgrounds opportunity to apply for some of the elite roles that are within the game, do you feel that's an inspiration to coaches like yourself and those that you have that close relationship with? Or do you feel that it's a little bit tokenistic, bit, kind of a bit of box ticking? How, how, how do you view that from a personal and professional point of view? Really good question, Lee. Um, I think obviously there's an underrepresentation, and it's something that the football authorities, like you just mentioned a few there, they're trying to address. And I just want to give some examples here. So, um, a fellow called Riz Rahman, who works for the PFA, um, yeah, yeah. He, he heads up the AIMS program, which is the Asian Inclusion Mentoring Scheme. Now, when Riz initially started this program, I'm fortunate that he's got me involved in that as a mentor and, and, and as a coach. And um, when he initially started this, you know, there was hardly any players um, in the system from South Asian background. And now we're in 2023. Uh, they had the last play development day at St George's Park and the network's grown massively. So what Riz has done here is highlighted positive examples and through these positive examples the network's grown so instead of just saying oh, this isn't happening that isn't that isn't happening look at it from a positive spin and see what is happening help that inspire other people and and there's a support network being created there so you know there's real good work going on so you know that's definitely not been tokenistic because there's some progression happened there and there's actual impact and then the other example that i want to give is a gentleman called a uh, uh, Butch Fazal at the FA, who's heads up uh, coach inclusion and diversity. Um, it's funny because um, Butch got in touch with me and Harry got in touch with me. Again, we go we talk about relationships. So when I was working for QPR uh, as an opposition scout and player recruitment, um, Gareth, Gareth Southgate, he was with the under-21s at the time. And we used to meet a lot at games and uh, he'd be watching players. I'd be watching players. We'd, we'd, we'd be sat in the same lounges, sat in the same seats watching games and we got talking we connected we exchanged messages and uh, and gareth was telling me that you know the fa there's a lot of change happening there's a drive for change and and what he told me he told me about some of the stuff that was going on and what he did was he sent my details to butch fazal's pa and then butch got in touch with me and told me about some of the stuff the fa was doing and butch identified me as somebody who really should be progressing on and kicking on and he's got this um mentee development program uh, which is for coaches, you know, from underrepresented backgrounds. And again, that's a really good program that's inspiring people. Um, it's inspired me. It's, it's supported me in the year I had uh, with that with that program. 
So there's two examples there that I can definitely say are more than uh, positive, inspiring people and not just a tokenistic gestures. Now, when I talk about, um, I'd like to highlight something here is and stress that I can only talk for myself. So I'm not I'm not generalising here. So everything I've done with the roles I've had and any successes of building built around relationships, networks, contacts, hard work, work and merit. And to demonstrate this, I've not had any leg up due to my background. So Wigan first team, Burton first team, QPR first team, Zambia senior team, Bolton, Thorley first team, roles with the FA, mentor, coach developer, talent ID tutor, England C assistant coach. None of these roles have been given to me because of my background or my faith or because there's an underrepresentation. Now, I would say, however, the mentee development programme, the coach mentorship I did with England, and I'd say the Burnley role last season, I'd say I took advantage of and utilised an opportunity that was designed for somebody from an under, underrepresented background. So I think it's important that I kind of highlight that to you here and, and give that personal touch to it in terms of what I've experienced. I suppose those experiences are, are, are invaluable and you've had many different experiences at many different clubs at many different levels. Were they, and I don't want to sound disrespectfully, were they by pure chance, pure luck, or was that a conscious decision from you? to seize as many opportunities as you could, to get as many experiences as you could, to be able to develop you as a person and as a coach in your career? I think um, there's definitely a, a conscious decision for me to de develop, you know, in my career. Obviously, that, that's, a, that's a thought or a mindset you're all, always going into. But in terms of my journey, I think things have happened, Lee, in real life events and situations that got me working at these different clubs and taking up these different opportunities. So it's kind of ad hoc and just happened and you were kind of going with the flow and taking each opportunity as it comes. Um, you can always have your plan, you can always have a strategy, you can always have, your, always have your goals and your dreams, but sometimes things happen and then when these things happen, these real life situations, and, and it is the nature of the beast in football, then, then these opportunities come about or don't come about. So, for example, when I was at Wigan, you know, Juve Rosler and Tony Corton, who was the chief scout then, had left, um, obviously, you know, and then when that happened, you know, I had to leave as well at the same time, you know. Uh, so, you know, I had no intention of leaving, but then I had to leave. That happened. I was fortunate enough to get a role at Burton Albion uh, with Jimmy Floyd Asselbank in his first stint. Then... You know, he left, he moved on to QPR um, and Nigel Clough came in and Nigel Clough bought all his own stuff. So then I left, but I was very fortunate. Uh, a couple of days later, the president of the Zambian Football Association offered me a role there uh, with the senior team to be assistant coach. He'd followed the stuff I was doing here in England, being a former under-20 player there. So that kind of fell into place. And then what happened when I was in Zambia... Lee, he, he never got re-elected as, as a president, so he lost his reign. Another president came in and things became volatile, so I, I made a decision to resign. Um, coming back here, QPR, Jimmy Ford Asselbank took me there where he was. He introduced me to Les Ferdinand. I had a really, really good um, three and a half years there at QPR. Um, and then Bolton came and took me away from there. You know, I wasn't planning on going to Bolton. I wasn't you know, I had no ambition. They came to me, they 
headhunted me, the first team management. So I left QPR and then joined Bolton. And then, you know, so these things have kind of just happened in real life events. How how hard is it as an individual? And I speak to quite a few contacts about this, but it'd be great to get your input of with the world of football. It's it's totally unique. What you said there through no fault of your own, through no personal grudges or professional performances, you're part of a, a team within a team, whether that's as recruitment, coach, whatever title it is. And sometimes you, if the hierarchy go at the top level of that club, sometimes individuals like yourself also move on, but then you also get opportunities somewhere else. How hard is that to take mentally when you've done nothing wrong, you're part of a mini team, but you've got to kind of just accept that, you know, like some of the stories you've said, through no fault of your own, oh, person X, Y and Z, they're leaving the club, that means I have to go too. That must be hard to take and then to come back from that and put yourself in another position where another opportunity comes up and to put yourself forward knowing that potentially the end of your time with that club will probably be quite similar unless you leave on your own accord because you've seen another opportunity somewhere else. How hard is that to take when it's not under your control? It's tough early. It's tough. I think early on in, in, in my career, I mean, I've done, I've done now, uh, this summer just gone 14 years at elite level and early on, it, you couldn't, you just couldn't comprehend it sometimes thinking, what, you know, what, what's going on here now? You've done all this hard work. You've, you know, you've, you know, got yourself in a good position and suddenly, you know, things change, this happens. It, it was hard to actually comprehend. But then as years went on, you kind of get used to it. And it, it, like you mentioned, it's the nature of the beast and and it comes with the territory of, of football. Um, so as much as it's tough to take, I kind of grew into learning how to deal with that and understanding that this is football and this is how it is. And if this is where you want to be, you know, you're going to have to learn to take this. It's literally it's part of it and, and it's a very unique the industry and unless you're in it um you're never going to be able to understand it fully it's it's almost um you, you can say it's almost like a, a ring fenced industry sometimes you know and it's very very unique and sometimes like i say if you're not in it or you've not experienced it it's very difficult to understand and comprehend but when you're in it you kind of learn to accept this is it this is how it is yeah, couldn't put it better myself. And during those times, you mean you, you touched on a few. Is there been a standout experience or a standout part where you've had a real challenge, either in a role where you've taken an opportunity, it's not quite been what you thought it was going to be? What, what, what's been the most challenging part of your career so far? I would have to say, all roundly, um, the, well, first I want to say there's, been lots of tough challenging periods and I guess you know like we said it's the nature of the beast at elite level but all around toughest experience the first one that stands out I'd have to say Bolton uh, Bolton Wanderers and and funny enough we were there together Lee I remember <laughs> uh, I remember I remember being in the canteen and you know yeah, having, yeah. Lunch, having lunch with you and um, so yeah now why I say it's the toughest is because it's just with everything that happened Lee so I was in you know, I had two good roles. I was at QPR, an established championship club. I had a really good relationship with Les Ferdinand, director of football. Every manager that came in, you know, took to me. You know, I had 
Steve McLaren, Ian Holloway, Jimmy Ford Hasselbank, you know, all all kept kept me on there, you know, under Les and got on really well. But then I decided to leave that and another role I had in education. So I was combining two roles to put all my, you know, efforts and endeavours to Bolton. So I joined Bolton, you know, hometown club. I was made like to be the golden boy. There was lots of press and media coverage around it, you know, uh, and um, things were looking like, you know, they're going to go well here, you know. And, you know, early, early on, I realised that, wow, what, what have I walked into, you know? Things just weren't happening the way I thought they were going to happen or I was told what would happen. Um, it was a very short stint, I think three, three months, three to four months. And then, you know, a new a new gentleman came in. There was lots of turbulence at the club. A new gentleman came in as head of football operations and he said to me that, Irfan, uh, we're going to have a meeting to, uh, next week. I'll tell you when the meeting is and it's, we're going to discuss about the plan ahead for the club. So he was head of football operations. So I said, yeah, that's fine. So he called me to a meeting. Um, I'd gone into the meeting with my notepad, with my laptop, with a plan and everything. So I'd gone in there, I've walked in. So not only he's in that room, the CEO's in that room as well. So I thought, what's going on here? You know, he's asked me for a meeting, the CEO's, and I didn't know she, she was going to be there. So then he just sat down and he said, Irfan, um, this might catch you off guard a little, but we're just going to relieve you of your duties. We, we, we're restructuring everything. That was it. That was it. I'd um, walked out of the room. I'd rang um, Hilly and Flicker, who were the manager and assistant manager at the time. Mm-hmm. They couldn't believe what had happened. Um, I didn't, you know what, Lee? I didn't even tell my wife in person. I didn't tell my children because at the time I just felt, you know, ashamed and worthless kind of thing. Like, you know, what's going on here? So I didn't even tell them until about after, I think it was a week after I told them, because obviously I was still, you know, getting paid there um, yeah. until I'd actually officially left. Um, so I never told them. So what had happened, Lee? You're not going to believe it. Um, a week had passed. So she still doesn't know I've left Bolton. Kids don't even know. So a week later, I'm driving, and I left her a voice note on WhatsApp. <laughs> I left her a voice note on WhatsApp and told her what happened. And what she did was um, she rang me and she said, is that all you've got? Telling me over a voice note. And I said, well, I didn't. I didn't have the chance to tell you, and I didn't want to tell you in front of the kids. And then what happened was then Mark Hiles at the Bolton News, he put it out there that, um, you know, I'd left. So as soon as it got out there that I'd actually left officially, it, this is when it started to come really toughly because you're walking out, out your front door, people uh, know you're working there, they've heard it. So people are asking you on your doorstep, what's happened? What's this? What's that? You go to Morrison's, same thing, people approaching you, asking in your hometown, you know, you've, you've gone from being painted the golden boy to, you know, just being uh, shoved out. And it was, it was really tough to handle and deal with all that. And then what happened, Lee, was um, COVID-19 hit. Yeah. Uh, the pandemic started. Uh, we're talking about, this is now March 20, March 2020, if I remember correctly. Yeah, March 2020. COVID-19, football shut down, education shut down. I was I was on my A licence at the time. So I'm thinking, right, what, what am I going to do here now? Um, not many jobs going here. 
football show, education show. Uh, I've got my license. You know, I need to be in football to complete that. You know, uh, so it was a tough time. Um, and then what happened was I had to make a decision really at that time because there was either you wait to get a role in education because s- some schools were still um, hiring at the time um, or you wait for a football opportunity. What do you do? You know, and then if you do go and get a full time education role, you're not going to be able to complete your A license because you need that flexibility and time. You need to be working at a club. So, so what I did was I ended up driving um pharmaceutical, a uh, pharmaceutical uh, driving for a sorry pharmaceutical company delivering um uh, medicine at the time on minimum wage, and I was like driving round. It was summer at the time, thirty degrees, no AC in the van. Um, I was fasting, Ramadan came about as well. So I'm going through all this just thinking that, you know what, I need to find something in football and I've got my A licence to uh, complete. So it was it was a really tough time, really tough. And obviously um, the COVID-19, you know, and, you know, financially had been hit. So, yeah, that was tough from all angles. And then I think just one other one, Lee, I want to mention is when I was appointed assistant coach of Zambia, um, it was pretty daunting this because... This wasn't any Zambia national team. This was the golden generation. That squad had won the AFCON. So three years before, they'd beat Ivory Coast in the final. So Yaya Tori, Kolo Tori, these kind of players were playing for Ivory Coast. Zambia had won that Cup of Nations. So they were the champions of Africa. Half of that squad was still there. When I was hired and appointed, um, it, it, was pretty, it was pretty daunting because the whole of social media were questioning why is he beginning this job? He's not qualified. He's not got like, the experience. He's never worked with international players. These are our best ever players that have won the African. How is he going to deal with them? Um, so it was pretty daunting. Like you're reading all these things, people writing about you, talking about. I was getting phone calls from media sources in Zambia and Africa. You know, and and my own uncle rang me. Lee, my own uncle rang me. and He said, "If I want to speak to him in private, please." I said, "Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm on my own." He goes, "Listen, are you sure?" you can do this job because, you know, look what people are saying and, you know, have you got the experience, have you got the tools? I don't want you going there failing because it's going to it's gonna um, kind of blacklist you for the future, any future jobs and roles. Are you sure? And I said, I'm 100% sure and confident that I can do it. Otherwise, I want to have been hired. The man that's hired me is a very respected football man, Kalusha Bwalia. He's, he's well respected in Zambia and in Africa. He played for PSV Eindhoven, you know, uh, as, a, as a player, it was a Zambia international, so so yeah, that that was kind of daunting as well. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing those experiences. It it just shows how honest you are as an individual. You know, I'm sure you know you wouldn't have been the only one to go through some struggles through through COVID, but obviously the unique, like you said before, football is a unique world. And yeah, once you're in, you're in. Once you're out, you. You, you, you're kind of out and it's it's hard to get back in and appreciate you the, the, the rawness of you of you sharing that and I think it puts the context and really paints a vivid picture of what it can be like and like I asked you the question sometimes through no fault of your own it's you know a case of where you know an opportunity comes to an end and you've literally got to quickly then think about right where's the next opportunity what's the next opportunity and sometimes, as you've proven, you've got to make that opportunity happen. It may not be your dream job. It may not be that nice linear line of, I'll go to the next step, the next step, upwards, upwards and upwards. It might be 
driving a van and having to do what you need to do to be able to be ready for that next opportunity. So no, I massively appreciate you you, you sharing yeah. that. And and speaking of opportunities, you you've seized an opportunity in the in the mentoring of coaches and I know you're passionate about that so in terms of that mentoring do you feel it's important that for coaches and players engage with this mentoring and what do you feel that they get out of the mentoring program you put together yeah um wow this is a really really good question Lee um just before I go on to this question you mentioned about um, having to do something like driving a van with a vision and a goal that you want to sacrifice to get, to, you know, to complete your vision and goal. And and I just wanted to mention that in that sacrifice that I made, that I'll drive a van uh, waiting for the next opportunity to come because I was on my air license. I just want to say that um, the opportunity at Charlie came um, and within, within a few months down the line, you know, I'd gone from driving that van 30 degrees, no AC in the heat, uh, coming up against, you know, sharing a touchline with Nuno Spirito Santo, uh, Wolves in the Premier League in the FA Cup round four. So this is this is that this is just a real life example of what can happen if you do make that sacrifice. But yeah, um, you know, go, going go, going back to your question, I think I want to start by saying I believe mentoring can help transform people and environments if it's done properly. Um, I've seen the fruits of this both as a mentee receiving mentoring and as a mentor mentoring people. I think it can give you a, a direction, a focus and a roadmap to try and get to where you want to get to or need to get to. Um, I'm fortunate throughout my life, Lee, that I've had so many good mentors being there for me and advice, giving me advice and guidance. And I do apologise if I miss anyone out here, um, you know, because I've had such good support mechanism and having that network and it's so like early on when I started to work in the game away from playing, I remember spending time with Clark Carlisle, which you've spoken about, you know, how the industry is so unique. If you don't understand it, Clark was giving me such an honest view of the industry because at the time it was mind boggling with how things was happening. Clark Carlisle obviously was chairman of the PFA's management committee at the time. He really, really gave me a really good insight and shared some good stuff with me. And then back in 2010, I met Riz Rahman, who works for the PFA and his brother Zesh. Uh, who's a role model of trailblazing himself, and then another gentleman called uh, Dr. Zafik, while I was working at Liverpool at the time. These guys, really inspiring and good mentors early on for me. Um, I want to mention here, Neil Bailey at the PFA, when I did my UEFA B in the youth mods with, he was more than a coach educator. He's there for me all the time, uh, you know, to support me on my journey. Now, we've talked about Bolton and that challenging time. Um, when I when when I went through that challenging time, I remember um, I, I actually doubting I'm ever gonna ever ever gonna go back into football. Now is this the end? Paul Hall at QPR was absolutely brilliant. Spent so much time on phone calls, and during that period, I'd formed a strong bond with him when I was working at QPR. You know, he got me involved as a support coach on the grass with the twenty threes. He was doing, you know, so I had so much time with him over the phone and giving me that time, and then. You know, other staff at QPR, had, 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 you know, offered me the support with Andy Imps, another coach there, and, and Les Ferdinand and Chris Ramsey. During that difficult time, I connected um, with them. And then I remember Jack Train, an old, old coach educator of mine. Yeah, I know um, Jack, he, yeah. He, he he picked up the phone as well and spoke to me and said, Earth, and you've got to get your real license done. 
complete it, complete it, son. He was telling me, you've got, to, you've got to get it done. And then from a more formal angle, when I was on that um, mentee development programme, that um, elite coach mentorship with, with England, there was a gentleman um, called Butch Fazala, as I mentioned. He facilitated a development action plan for me uh, when I was a mentee. So this is where I really saw the fruits of mentoring. And then when I was at Charlie, Andy Priest was doing a mentoring course with the LMA and he mentored me to aim for me to get even higher. Um, and then during the license, I had a gentleman called Graham Keeley, magnificent, what a what an amazing human being, you know, the support he gave me. So, you know, I've seen all these um, positive experiences. And then when I did that mentorship, Lee, that year, on my development action plan, I was fortunate to spend some time with really knowledgeable people. And this is what mentors are there for, to pass on this knowledge, share the wisdom with you. And and, and I think mentor-mentees, it's about a relationship where two of you grow together as well, because it's, it's a unique bond if it's done properly. And I was very fortunate during that time as part of my development action plan, some of the stuff I needed to meet. Jamie Carragher gave me his time, I spent time with him. Steve McLaren, who I was with at QPR, gave me his time. I went back to see Jimmy Floyd at Burton. I got an opportunity to spend time with Martin, Roberto Martinez, who was at Belgium at the time. And then I worked with a really good coach at Burnley called Sean London. Um, you know, some brilliant insight I got to um, experience uh, uh, with him. Now, that's me talking as a, as a mentee, getting all these experiences from mentors and how it's benefited me. Having that guide, that support, you know, somebody to facilitate things for you. Now, as a mentor now, working for the FA and a mentoring leader at the Little Sports Group, I've seen people grow, Lee, and, and the people that I've been mentoring, these coaches, when they tell you that you had a positive impact on them, it's absolutely priceless. We go back to that... Um, person before the player and that flame inside you it, it really ignites you when you hear that it, it it's so so nice to, to 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 see and hear people say this you know when you're working with them you know and you know i think the personal development life skills workshops that i've been doing as part of my role again you're seeing people develop it gives you that great feeling passing on your knowledge and I'm fortunate now that I've developed my own mentoring program, Lee, um, which has a holistic approach. It's there to support people become the best version of themselves. I believe this model can be used for anyone. It, it, it's very bespoke. I feel there's potential to use it for players too. It, it takes a deep dive into the person, personally and professionally first. Then the core of it is how we feel. This affects how we think, behave, go about our day-to-day. Then going even deeper to look at our purpose and do we feel valued? Do we have a sense of belonging? Do we feel loved? And do we have any fear and vulnerability right deep at the bottom? And can we then endeavour to, to be authentic and, and show courage? So this is the model I've come up with. And, and I'm very fortunate during my elite coach mentorship with England football learning, I had a lot of training in mentoring. I delved deeper into this and, had a, and, and research into it. A colleague of mine was doing a PhD level research in mentoring. So I was very fortunate to, to delve deeper into that. And I think what well, question I want to ask is, you know, how much work's been done on the needs of players psychologically, socially, emotionally, spiritually, holistically, careers outside of playing? Do the coaches have the time to do it or necessary lived experiences, knowledge to address these things? And have they been through these things themselves to empathise with players? You know, I remember Tony, Tony Pulis was carrying out some research on academies and academy players, and he was saying that, you know, they should have mentors there uh, in terms of the research he was doing. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's uh, probably an episode in itself to mentor it and what, what young footballers need. And speaking of young footballers' needs, I did have two questions, but I think I'm going to merge it into one. I'm going to try anyway. And I know, obviously, you've got a, a track record in, in youth development. And I know you, you see some of the attributes, the behaviours, the attitudes, the characteristics of many young players that, you know, during your time so far. But I hear a lot of coaches talk about the fine margins or, you know, the 1%, the marginal gains. In your experience, what do you feel is within these small margins that makes the difference between young players actually making a career in football? So I want to start by saying, so going back to your question there, um, I think the first one I'll, I'll talk about youth development and um, what behaviors and attributes, and then I'll come on to players at all phases. So mm-hmm. I think at youth development, that willingness to do extra and more, um, that willingness to learn and get better every day, resilience is a massive one. I think what we need to understand is for young people is that disappointment and failure is part of life and it's not the opposite of, of success, it's part of it. So developing resilience quickly. Um, good manners uh, for young players because I think this will be the foundation for them to build positive relationships for the future. Um, so that's more, I'd say, youth development. Now, if you want to talk about recruitment of players at all age groups, phases and, and, and talking about fine margins, I think the obvious things that stick out is you know, there's a lot of emphasis on the technical and the tactical abilities, which are quite um, obvious to see. But you need good characters, Lee. The characters are so important. I mean, what play, which players are going to come to the trenches with you, especially when the chips are down? You know, who's going to be willing to keep running when they, when they feel the lungs are about to burst? You know, these are these fine margins and, and ones that actually get players over the line. Yeah, it's, it's like I hear that a lot from coaches as well of, you know, kind of, yeah, when it gets to the nitty gritty, when it gets to the chips are down, when your backs are against the wall, all the different analogies and sayings that cliches we have in football. Yeah, it's about, you know, sticking together. And I think, yeah, that characteristic, those behaviours, it's yeah really important. And then that brings us nicely on to the final question. And the final question is we always want to leave our listeners with, uh, something to take away from it and what would you like that key message to be for our listeners to take away from your episode um so is this generally advice for the listeners yeah it could be could be general can be holistic it can yeah. be personable can be football life yeah. totally up to yeah. you yeah no i think um any advice for listeners who are looking to pursue a career in football i'd say you know in football there's a saying that you you need a heart of a lion uh cojones like king kong and a skin like like a rhino they say and i think (laughs) i think um building positive relationships to have a network is key generally i think for coaches i would say um, be almost ready to sleep with one eye closed. There's so much time you've got to give and sacrifice to to get to to see the rewards, and you won't see them immediate rewards straight away. You've got to be patient. A supportive family, supportive family, really helps. Now, I want to go on to players now, more specific. I think um, they really want to get a career out of the game, and 
the first one I want to say, communication, body language is so important. Um, I read something in the Telegraph that uh, Phil Foden wasn't being picked because of the body language uh, at times. So that's important. Being humble, always willing to learn, ask questions, do more. Again, resilience. Disappointment and failure will happen. It's part of our lives. It's not the opposite of success. It's part of it. Being self-aware, you know, feelings and emotions are normal. We're human beings. Don't ignore them and pretend they're not happening. Surrender to them and talk about them. This will help our well-being. Um, have a dream with goals, then have a daily plan and strategy to work towards attacking your goals. Otherwise, the dreams will just be a dream. You know, take ownership of your life and, and take care of what you can control. And then the last one here I want to say for players is, is is have something about you because, you know, there's a misconception from people, especially if you've not been involved in the game here. Now, what I mean by this is, yeah, have good manners, have a good character, carry yourself in the right way. I'm not for one second saying that you've got to be obnoxious or be a horrible person. Wayne Rooney spoke about when he when he played against Jude Bellingham. Jude Bellingham had left something on him as a young 16-year-old. And Rooney just, Wayne Rooney said, this is glad to got something about him. Emma Steven Gerrard's first training session at Melbourne, Jim Redknapp spoke about as a 17-year-old. He came in and he, he went in on Paul Ince and won the tackle and, and then spread it a 40-yard pass. And people are like, wow, who's this kid? You know, I think the very best in such a such a competitive field football is um, the very best they don't always conform they have an edge and once they cross that white line you know you're going to a battle you're a warrior football's an invasion game you you're invading someone's territory and you got to protect yours so you think all over the pitch you're going to see duels and there'll be one v ones all over the park whether it's the left back against the right winger the center back against the forward the forward against the center back so i think when you get into that first team environment you know the dark hearts will will start kicking in. And I think go back to that, have that something about you and develop your uniqueness, you know, have, uh, sorry, believe in something, you know, be authentic and stand for something. Otherwise, you know, we'll fall for anything, you know. And, and just because you're a warrior on the pitch doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you go out and smash people in tackles. It could mean being brave to get on the ball, you know, showing courage and confidence. So, yeah, I think... Be authentic, stand for something, otherwise we'll fall for anything. Oh, that's perfect. And it's yeah, it's been a really good good time to, to to chat with you, catch up with you. Like I said, I know we spent some time, limited time, but some time together at, at Bolton. It's been good to catch up with you. It's been good to learn and learn far more about you in terms of your pathway. And I'm sure our, our listeners will have done as well in terms of, you know, not just from a mentoring perspective, coaching, playing, you know, opportunities, life and stuff of that nature. So no, it's been really good. Thank you for your time. Thanks. It's been really enjoyable to connect with you again. Thank you. What did I tell you? Some of you may be listening to this episode thinking, what has all this got to do with me? Well, here's why. Resilience is what Irfan has shown in bucket loads right throughout his career from setbacks to low blows to having things happen to him outside of his control to being deemed unsuccessful by association. Openness to opportunities is where Irfan sets himself apart from others. Where some have been burnt and where a few would have said, not for me, he stepped up and took each opportunity with both hands, metaphorically and literally. I don't give a, you know what comes next, 
the definition essentially not caring what others think what they say or how they view him Irfan is a leader in this realm where he carries on regardless sticks to his principles and his process too for that I commend him and applaud him in equal measure what does this mean to you? everything show the same levels of resilience say yes to opportunities that come your way and care less about what others think about you do you and only you because no one else will do it for you and speaking of opportunities we bring you your next one next week when you join us for another interview from the locker Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we hope you have taken many key messages away with you. But the next part is down to you now by putting these into action. If you'd like today's episode, feel free to tell us on our various social media platforms where you can find us at thelocker underscore UK. For guest recommendations, future topics to be discussed, or you simply want to reach out, you can do so by emailing us on thedevelopmentlocker at gmail.co.uk. Remember to share this episode and our platform with your teammates, friends in football, or anyone you feel would benefit from it. So, what are you waiting for? But you're not done yet as we look forward to seeing you next week when we bring you another interview from The Locker.